Welcome to another podcast from Best Self Magazine, the leading voice for self-empowerment, holistic health, and authentic living. Hi, I'm Bill Miles, co-founder and creative director of Best Self Magazine. We have today a special guest. His name is Leif Skogberg, and I met him at uh, an event during this last year, and he very much impressed me with his commitment to sustainability and really tapping into your mind, body, spirit for the benefit of your own life as well as how you can impact others and the planet as a whole. And I think you'll enjoy this conversation. I'm going to give you just a quick background. Leaf is a whole systems designer, a sustainability consultant, and a life purpose coach. He has nearly 20 years of experience in holistic living, leadership, and design. He helps his clients save money and achieve greater health, alignment, and resilience through integrated design. Welcome, Leif, and thank you for being a part of Best Self Magazine today. Thank you, Bill, for having me. appreciate the introduction <laughs> and the You're invite welcome. to join you. So we're just going to have a little conversation here, and I'd like to start out with exploring how you got connected to sustainability. What does that term even mean to you? Yeah, yeah, it's become kind of a loaded term in a lot of ways today, you know, used very, very often in different ways, you know, sustainable financially, sustainable environmentally. But for me, um, you know, I see sustainability as a holistic sort of framework of how we create a better world in the future. And a lot of people talk about sustainability as uh, not really the goal anymore, because if we can, if we are sustaining what we have right now, uh, we're still going down a bad path. You know, we've already done so much uh, destruction and degenerative uh, things to the planet that we actually need to regenerate nature and we need to restore things. And then we can be sustainable once we've repaired and restored things. And I think that's, you know, an important thing to understand is that sustainability is, it's a balance where we have to restore things to a point in which they're worth sustaining we've gone to the other end of the spectrum of really degenerating things. So there's this degenerative and regenerative spectrum and sustainability is kind of in the middle. It's that balance point. It's kind of and, ironic that we have to play catch up now, right? Yeah. You have yeah. Kind of an interesting story of how from your youth of how you got uh, connected to this, you know, this profound interest of yours. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. So, I was in a, a beekeeping family as a child, so I was actually out in nature a lot, very connected with natural systems, but I had a very rough childhood. My, my adolescent years were, were pretty um, challenging, and I actually thought that the, uh, the end of the world was coming before I even would graduate high school, because I was, I was graduating in the year 2001, and my, my dad was kind of the, uh, one of those, you know, end of days, preppers, apocalypse is coming kind of people, and so in my early teen years, I was pretty self-destructive because I was being told we were self-destructing our planet. So I was in a lot of uh, extreme sports and I, I, you know, partied a lot, did a lot of drugs. And ultimately that led me to a place of deep suffering and really profound rock bottom. And I, I had a, a turning point where I uh, basically had a near-death experience, was considering uh, committing suicide and was in a really, really, you know, challenging, emotional, physical place, lots of physical injuries, lots of physical pain, as well as a lot of emotional and family pain from, you know, parents getting divorced and, um, you know, just seeing a lot of really challenging things as a child. And so I had this experience where 
I realized that I couldn't blame anyone anymore for my pain and my suffering. And that I just, I kept giving away my power when I did that, that I, I couldn't get control of my life if I blamed anyone. And so I had this realization that if I wanted to have a, a future that was positive and that was healthy and that wasn't riddled with suffering, that I really had to choose wisely. And I had to find truth and understanding in order to live a better life. And that, that awakening was really the catalyst for me down a path of seeking, how do I create a better world for myself? become my best self, and uh, reduce suffering for myself in the future? And then and how do this I bring that to the world? Really interesting. Your realization was that the world is not going to fix your problems. You have to fix your problems. So it's, yeah. a, it's a story of personal accountability. Exactly. Yeah. I was, I was really angry with my dad and with what I had been told was this God who was going to end the world. And you know, I took out that anger on myself. I was very self-destructive because I felt powerless against these big authority figures that were destroying my life before I even could graduate high school. And so, yeah, it was this, this self-responsibility and this threshold that I went through of really letting go of blame and forgiving my dad and forgiving, you know, whatever God there may be, forgiving myself for what I'd done to my body and even my emotional uh, life. And then it was this journey of how do I create a better world? And that's really what led me to uh, a curiosity and an interest in sustainability a few years later. I will say that you came to that realization at a pretty young age. Um, many of us never get there. And if we do, it's often much later in life. So I think that you had a certain calling to bring some talent and spend as much of your life going forward influencing for good. Yeah, it definitely happened for a reason. And I have ever since that time felt very purposeful as I inspire others from my journey, I become more inspired. And, and there's many who continue to inspire me in a very deep way to, to live even more deeply into my truth. Amen. So your work is kind of, uh, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of split that you have a personal side where you help as a life purpose coach for people, for individuals. And then you have a business side where you're a sustainability consultant helping businesses leave a better mark on the planet. Yeah, that's right. It is a, a split in the sense of how we see business in, in modern times. You know, it's, it's been very hard for people, even myself, to frame it and understand how it all fits together. Because if you are a healer or a life coach, that's kind of one niche and industry. And then if you're an environmental activist and a sustainability activist, that's a whole nother kind of direction. And, and then there's a whole bunch of areas in between. So for me, what I've realized is that the journey to creating a sustainable world actually starts with individuals. You know, we, we each need to understand how to be empowered and how to transform our lives and how to grow and how to, you know, design our future, how to, how to create an integrated design for our life. And to be able to believe in that vision, to be able to believe in a positive future self or a positive future planet, and then to be able to strategically take action to manifest that, to build that design that we want for our life. And the, uh, the patterns and principles of how to heal and, and become whole in oneself is actually uh, really, interestingly enough, it's, it's very similar to sustainability. It's very related and relevant and connected to the garden of life. And so I started to, in my own personal journey towards healing and truth, I started to see all these patterns of how we become whole, how we integrate the various aspects of duality, of 
you know, what people often talk about as the four elements or the five elements and these different quadrants of our life and our existence. Ken Wilber talks about it as these, you know, these four quadrants and many others, you know, indigenous cultures have these different models of these wheels of life. And so and on my own personal awakening journey, I was seeing these patterns. And then as I started to study permaculture and sustainability and natural building and ecology and, you know, horticulture, which, which is what my, my degree is in, environmental horticulture science. When I studied these things, I was seeing these same patterns and I was having this, this sort of realization of it's the same, they're connected. Mm-hmm. And then some really profound spiritual teachers that came into my life were saying the same thing, that the, uh, the water of our planet is polluted because the consciousness and the psyche and the emotions of humanity is polluted. And the mind of the collective conscious of humanity is influencing our environment and our world, as well as our culture is influencing our outer world. And there's these symbiotic so it's relationships. More than, it's more than a metaphor. It's actually an energetic synergy. Yeah, there's these, these reflections and these energetic synergies. And so as I started to see all these patterns, I really wanted to create a model and understanding for myself that maybe I could even share with others about how they all connect. And that's what I created a few years ago. I call it apriculture design. Apriculture. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to read the quote, and then you can describe it a little bit. But you say that it's a concept of designing and building an appropriate and appreciation-based world and culture, henceforth apriculture, and that it uses a simple garden-based framework for creating a sustainable world from the inside out. Yeah, exactly. So as I was saying, you know, there's these patterns of inner and outer landscapes. I couldn't ignore the connections and the interdependence and interconnection. And so as I started to explore them further, I I realized there's many other people who have taught about this and who have spoke about this. Rudolf Steiner was one of them. He had a very large teaching on holistic healing and pedagogy and farming and all these different aspects of how we create balance and harmony in our reality. And so these inner and outer landscapes, you know, if you look at the garden of nature, the ecology of it is really made up of mineral systems, this element of earth, these water systems, you know, water element, atmospheric, air, gas elements, and these energy systems, these energy cycles that flow through and drive the whole system. And in the human body, it's very similar. We have this physical nutrient mineral-based structure, you know, our bones, our muscles, it's all the structure. Then you have the water, the liquids, both in the vascular system as well as the lymphatic system that really circulates and move nutrients around. And you have the gases and oxygenation and how important that is for all the cells to work properly. And then you also have the the energy, the kind of like the spark in our eyes that drives the whole system. And we get that from, you know, directly absorbing the sun, but also from our food energy and when it's unlocked. You know, I'm not the first one to come up with these connections, but I, I've been starting to put them all together and to create this easily understood garden-based, nature-based framework of how we can actually systematically heal nature, culture, society, economic systems, and the individual self that is at the center of it all. So let's break that down a minute. While the idea is not new, it's become more prevalent because I think people tend to live in the moment and they're not necessarily you know, future tripping about how their activities are going to affect the world for our children and other generations and so forth. But we're now at a kind of critical point where we have to think that way. Let's talk what people as individuals can do in a very tactical way to become more sustainable. 
I think to reiterate, they can really address these four spheres in their life, their personal self-care, their own health in terms of, you know, getting proper food intake, diet, getting sleep regularly, something I often have challenge with having two kids and, you know, uh, being married and parent, <laughs> working, yes. you know, jobs and um, having, you know, all that stuff, but sleeping enough and um, preferably with the cycles of nature. Uh, there's a lot of science to back up that. And then um, getting exercise, you know, meditating, like really not, you know, being too fiery in the head, not too busy in the head and keeping the energy systems in our body balanced and, and circulating properly. And so this, uh, this self-care to me is actually an important part of creating a sustainable world. And that's what I feel is important to include in the sustainability conversation that, you know, when people do that for themselves, not in a selfish and, you know, egoic materialistic way, but in a really responsibility for themselves kind of way, it improves the collective. It's a little easier for all of us to take care of ourselves. And then from there, we can start to look at our, our financial sustainability, our economic health and our personal life, which I really see as what's our outer purpose of our own individual life. How do we make a positive influence in the world? How do we follow our passion, live our dreams, and then monetize that and have have a value to it and be reimbursed for what we're giving in service to the betterment of people and the planet. So there's a consciousness about our self-care being that if we take care of ourselves and we're, we're self-reliant and, and have a relatively low footprint or impact on other people, and that we're in a best position to be mindful about all of our actions, which I think is yeah. fantastic. And then you touch on, we can also be mindful of our more external practices, like where we spend our money, the businesses we choose to work with, to purchase. Exactly. From. Exactly. Yeah. What are we investing in? You know, not only our own time and energy, but our, our finances as well. And every time, you know, everyone's probably heard this now, but every time you buy something, you're making a vote. And so, you know, I don't, I don't buy like non-organic dairy or non you know, non-organic free range meat because I don't think it's good for my body, but I also don't like voting for the opposite. You know, I like voting for exactly um, healthy treatment and uh, and you know responsible treatment of animals. And I also say, believe that there's an energy associated with food for sure, and you touched on that. Healthy plants, happy animals uh, make for energetically positive food for us. Yeah, and so you know what you're what you're eating, what you're voting with your dollar. You know, you can. Look into solar panels. Like one of the, that's one of the things that I help my clients with if they're a residential property or or some of the resorts that I work with as well, and retreat retreat centers. It's like how in every way can we can invest and contribute to a thriving and beautiful future? And there's these very systematic approaches that we can take to um, again this this self care practice, these economic investments and and sustainability and really supporting companies that are responsible and making it known. Like if you're, you know, leaving a bank because of their practices, you know, make it known mm -hmm. why you're leaving. And, and then there's all the, uh, the social and, and cultural aspects of sustainability where, you know, we have to get along. We have to be able to create peace between our relatives, between, um, you know, our, our family and our loved ones and in our neighborhoods. And so having these skills to be able to, you know, speak with compassion, you know, this yes. sort of nonviolent communication to be yes. able to have compassion for other people from where they're at, have empathy for them and, and their situation, their perspective, to really have the skills to create peace and harmony and connection between humans, even if we totally disagree on something, 
to, you know, to respect that, that perspective and opinion and see it as something that you actually might have something to learn from. So when you have uh, clients approach you, is this kind of new for them or are they already of the framework and what you're providing is like tactical direction? It's a little bit of both. Usually they align with the vision and they have a sincere, you know, um, heartfelt intention to, to live in this kind of way where they want to be the change they wish to see in the world. You know, they're, they're interested in going green, taking care of the planet. They, you know, they want to understand how to really facilitate a better relationship like in, in, a, in a community or an eco-village and situations that I've worked with where, you know, we, um, people bring me in to be able to help facilitate dialogues, team building, difficult conversations, integrated design. So usually there's an in for them. There's a doorway that has a direct need associated with it, you know, whether it's diversifying their revenue streams on their property or their farm, whether it's, you know, reducing their environmental impact and being more efficient with their utility costs. You know, usually there's a direct need that is being addressed. And then I work with that specifically to begin with, right? You know, I don't try and dump this whole bigger framework on them if that's not their need. I just, you know, meet them where they're at and help them address the issues at hand. And then I start to, you know, evolve the conversations of, well, how about have you considered, you know, doing some reflection and analysis of your culture in your organization? And how, how do you create synergy and coherence and build a, a team of trust and, you know, a team of people who are stoked to come to work because they're working for this, you know, amazing organization? So it, it usually there's, you know, usually a specific gateway and then it, it kind of becomes, you know, a bigger conversation once that relationship evolves. Do you get involved with school systems? I would think that would be an important part, both from an institutional standpoint. The educational is more obvious, but also schools are not known for having, you know, a great carbon footprint. Uh, yeah, I mean, a little bit. And certain schools now have their gardens and they actually prepare school meals from their gardens, which is extraordinary. Others are still stuck with vending machines, uh, you know, filled by Coca-Cola. Yeah, it can be challenging with some schools. I actually got started. Uh, I think I might have mentioned this to you previously, but I got started as an activist in Santa Barbara, California. Yes. I was attending attending university there and um, was a was a student organizer and activist at the the Santa Barbara Community College for, I was there for four and a half years. And it was one of the greatest experiences and teachers uh, of any of my classes that I took was actually that direct hands-on uh, organizing a team of people with a bunch of different campaigns and, you know, um, marketing these different classes, courses, initiatives. And we actually, I was working with a, a statewide group of students across California and our, our goal was to transform the higher educational institutions to become the largest green enterprise in the state. Right, which was very ambitious. We were actually quite successful. That's awesome. That's the right yeah. state to be doing it in. Yeah, it was huge because we had students working at city colleges, Cal States, and UCs. And those systems combined had a tremendous buying power, tremendous influence on policy. And of course, they're educating the future. So we, uh, we passed a number of policies on everything from, you know, zero waste and transportation alternatives to renewable energy, green buildings, organic foods in the cafeterias, you know, it was, it was pretty comprehensive. And that was really where I got lit up and really engaged in this greater conversation of 
not only can we make change, but we can make change on a huge scale. Absolutely. You know, it kind of goes back to, can one person actually make change on a grand scale? And Mm. the response is, any change that's ever been made at a grand scale started with one person. So that's really the only way it can happen. That's really at the essence, as I, as I kind of mentioned, the essence of apiculture is that at the center of creating a sustainable world, you know, a lot of the sustainability models talk about ecology and society and economics. But I kept thinking, well, where's the individual in that whole model? And so that was right at the center of it. And actually, they're the ones making everything happen. So any, any individual that is hearing me talk about this or is working in sustainability in any way, uh, whether it's personal health and awakening or you know, socialist issues or environmental, they're making a choice to be a leader and to have a ripple effect on their surroundings. That's what happened for me, and that's what Gandhi did, and all these amazing teachers and leaders, they've chosen to be the change they wish to see in the world. Kind of where you started, anybody can do that just by starting with your own self and your own family. Exactly. If you can be a change maker for yourself and for your family, you've done heroic deed for the world. Exactly. Right yeah, we don't, right? we don't have to take on the, the weight of changing all the spheres of our reality. You know, we can pick one and focus on it. And that's one of the reasons why I, I really feel like this is important to, um, to bring this awareness that just because someone is working on an economic issue to make economics more sustainable, doesn't mean that they're any less important than if they're working on environmental sustainability, you know, or social issues. It's, they're all a part of a whole. And I think it's important for us to see that and understand that and support people to follow their passions and connect it with this bigger framework. And in fact, economics is what really drives the whole machine. So if you can tackle the problem through economics, you have the greatest chance of sustaining progress. And I happen to be a big believer in the power of business to impact social change. And Mm -hmm. I know that you are a believer of that as well. That's why I've created a business around it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And in our magazine, we're always uh, uncovering new businesses, new business models that have sustainability as a thread. There's a line that you once um, wrote, which really captured me, that nature is our teacher and our mirror for our collective consciousness. Yeah. And I thought that was very beautiful and poignant. Mm. And I just wanted you to touch on that for a minute, our connection to the natural world, which we often lose track of and how important that is. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a big topic. There's lots of different you know, angles to look at it from. But ultimately, the natural world has always been a metaphor for our culture and our our lives, our religions, right? We were thrown from the Garden of Eden because of this original sin, doing something wrong. And then we have had this relationship for many thousands of years where we are no longer part and parcel of the Garden of Eden. We're not stewards of it anymore. And so this new story that's emerging is really looking at that as being, okay, that was a time period in human evolution where we had to psychologically separate ourselves from our creator who's like going through adolescence you know separate ourselves from our parents from from um you know father sky and mother earth and kind of rebel and and be a little bit destructive you know sort of like a teenage boy in some you know some ways not always the case but 
I know I was that way. And uh, I'm seeing it in my 11-year-old <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, so this, this new story that's emerging is really about, oh, okay, we're actually caretakers of the earth. We're stewards of the garden. And we can have a regenerative impact. Our impact doesn't have to be negative and destructive. And so when we go out into nature, it's a healing experience just being in nature, the exercise, you know, the sunshine, the fresh air, just that alone. But if we actually do a walk in nature with intention and with a question, we can be reflected some really powerful teachings, whether it's the patterns from a leaf, whether it's an animal that has, you know, some powerful connection with us. There's all of this medicine in nature, and that's one of the things I really love doing is taking groups on, on little medicine walks out into nature, little mini solo uh, fasts on the land where we just go out and we, we sit in ceremony and connect with the elements and the animals and the plants. And, you know, for some people, it's, it's a little woo-woo, and for others, it's just like this real basic thing about, like, we come from the garden of nature, and we that's come right. from the earth. We are. We are and part of nature. Yeah, we we're are not, nature. We're not different. We're not intended to dominate. Um, we are part yeah. of it. Yeah, and so when we go out and we connect with these elements, it's, it's an ancient language in us. It's an ancient way of connecting and communicating with something. It is us. And so um, that's one aspect of it. But you know, as I was saying earlier, it's like as we begin to awaken and blossom as a species, then I think that simultaneously is being reflected in how we, we build buildings, how we design our infrastructure and our roads and you know, how well we care for these natural systems that are the, the foundation of all life. I hope that the trend continues that way. Yeah. And you, you did actually mention at one point, believing that businesses in general, that the future of business is about social responsibility and that profits will become secondary. Yeah. I would like to believe that I'm maybe a little too jaded to believe that the profits becoming secondary is actually going to happen. I think being profitable while having a sustainable model is going to be the hybrid because yeah. I think a business must be profitable and must seek profits in order to continue to do what they do, however sustainably it is. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the business world from everything that I've heard from a, a lot of the um, corporate sustainability executives and chairs and directors, sustainability is smart business. If you're not, if you don't have a sustainability department, you're declining. A huge awakening of yeah. how, you know, how supply chains are dependent on natural systems, how products and the quality of our products are dependent on people, how the carbon emissions are really creating an insecure environment for for crops and foods and fuels and fibers and all these things that big corporations rely on, there's been an awakening, you know, oh, wow. Like if, if we don't have these raw materials, these raw resources, this stability of natural systems to provide for us, we don't have anything. And that, that philosophy doesn't always serve short-term profits, which is what a shareholder, you know, public companies are driven by short-term results. Right. And, and that's, that I think is the model that is going to shift. I that, think exactly when that can shift, I agree. Everything can fall in place. Yep. And in fact, all the new kind of hot emerging companies you hear about Warby Parker and so forth, they're all built on a sustainable model. Exactly. Absolutely. The consumers are demanding it just like with organic food and healthy products, healthy homes, as more and more people such as you and I, and all of those listening to this, as we demand more and more of these kinds of 
awarenesses in corporations, these kinds of policies and programs. I mean, corp corporations that don't have sustainability programs are having a hard time recruiting millennials. They're having a hard time That's, getting people to your workforce. Right. It's very hard to compete for the labor force. Yep. People want to work for companies that do good. And so that's what I mean about this shift to purpose-driven economy as opposed to profit, where it's really all, everyone is going to be, want to be buying and be a part of the companies who are actually having a meaningful impact and not just, yeah, we donate to this charity, but actually it's a part of their organizing principle. And I want to touch on that for one second because I'm very familiar and you are, but our readers may not be with B corporations or benefit mm -hmm. corporations. Yeah. And just explain briefly what that is and why that's a useful insignia or certification for a customer to look for in a company they might purchase from. Yeah. Yeah. The B Corp model is great. Uh, I think it's been around for, you know, five, six years or so officially several hundred companies that have signed on to it. And it's basically a way of organizing your corporation and the bylaws of the organization of the company to, to explicitly say that, you know, we are in business to benefit the planet and people. And there's a, there's a really systematic certification and review process that everyone who holds the B Corp certification has to go through. And a lot of classic sustainability-minded companies uh, jumped on the bandwagon right away. Like Patagonia was. Patagonia, yeah. And they were based out of Ventura, California. I worked with them a little bit um, a while back. Yeah, so these, you know, these companies that are really jumping on that bandwagon, they're, they're seeing it increase their growth. You know, it was really funny. Patagonia a while back did this ad for a holiday magazine. Can't remember the name of the magazine, but the ad basically said, don't buy our jacket. Like you, you a have famous ad. Yep, <laughs> right? That's exactly right. Do and it, you know, it, obviously it, it works like more people bought it than if they had said like, you should really buy this because of X, Y, and Z, but um, you know, don't I mean, buy this because you probably have enough. There was and, don't buy this if you don't need it because yeah. you don't need another jacket going into landfill. It also had a subliminal message that if you buy their products, their products are built to last and not wind up in landfill. They'll serve yeah. you for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a very, very good ad. Uh, another example is uh, when REI, an outdoor you know, retailer, mm -hmm. distributes Patagonia among others, but a few years ago for Black Friday, the biggest shopping day of the year around after Thanksgiving, they had their opt-out or opt-outside campaign where they actually closed the store. Even online, they closed the store. Uh -huh. Everybody else is flocking to the mall for their special Black Friday deals. REI said, we're going to actually shut the door. We want you guys to go outside instead. Yeah, that's great. They obviously lost some business in the short run on that, but they drew a whole lot of fans in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a part of these, you know, all of these models these, with these B Corps and, and just any company that's really going down the direction of being more sustainable, it's very much about taking responsibility, right? Self-responsibility for their individual organization, right? Again, that, that individual entity making a decision that is then influencing economy and culture and the environment. And that's and, kind of the full circle of this conversation where you started. It all starts with the individual and we're all the yeah. same. The business is like an individual in that regard. We all have to look inward to. Exactly. This has been a great conversation. I hope it's inspired people to uh, look at their own lives and what they can do. And for me, this kind of conversation actually gives me even greater hope for the world because, yes, I see the problems, but I see 
a lot of possibility. And yeah. this planet is amazingly powerful at restoring itself mm-hmm. when given an opportunity. Absolutely. Amazingly powerful. So yeah, let me know, uh, where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Well, right now I have my main webpage, which is my name, leafscogberg.com. And that's kind of the general overarching, find out about all the different things that I offer. I'll put a link. That's tough spelling. Okay. I'll put a link to this in the, the page that this lives on. So people can- Okay. So yeah, that's the main place. Um, if people have any questions, if they want to you know, engage with me, they can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram. On Facebook, it's just Leaf H. Skogberg. Then there's also my Instagram account is at Whole Life Designs. Thank you very much for, for joining in this conversation. Thank you and, and your whole team at Best Self Magazine for reaching out to people and having conversations like this and sharing knowledge and information because that's really, I think, the, the last thing I'll say about this whole conversation is we all have to start on the journey of understanding sustainability somewhere. Yes. For me, it's really important that we don't judge people for being, quote unquote, bad or unsustainable. They might just not be educated. They might not be aware of, of the impact that they're having. So I think we need to be honest with people and at the same time, like compassionate and loving with them and not be, you know, self-righteous, you know, super eco kind of people where that turns people down. It's a great point. You want to inspire without judgment. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's a big part of this apriculture design framework is that that's the appreciation piece is really appreciating everyone for who they are, where they're at. And then coming to a conversation uh, about sustainability and creating a better world from that place of first appreciating them as a human being, as someone who has family and friends, and they're, they're a product of their environment, you know, whoever they are. And then from that place, inquiring and having curiosity around whether or not they you know, are interested in becoming more integrated and aligned and coherent and sustainable with the way that the future is going. So. I found that in my activism work and in, you know, as a student as a, um, in college, and then also just as a consultant over the years, it's really important to approach people with that non-judgmental, compassionate mindset of, uh, we all need to be educated. I may do something on occasions where you know, someone who's very eco-savvy might be like, oh, how dare he use that straw at this restaurant? You know, it's like, I usually don't use straws, but I might forget sometimes, <laughs> you know, so... We just need to, you know, love each other and and see the humanity in all of us. And always be a student. Yeah, absolutely. Always have that curiosity. If we lose curiosity in our fellow human beings and our loved ones and in how we can become a better person, then I think we we lose a vitality and uh, an innocence that is, uh, is divine. And, you know, it's like a child's light that we all can keep and hold on to as we grow older. That's fabulous. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Learn more at bestselfmedia.com.